So if you have your, uh, if you have your book, um, I want to kind of uh, do a little follow-up on the doctrine of justification, which is really uh, uh, essential, I think, to understanding the gospel. It's not, uh, obviously not uh, necessary, but I think uh, it, it, it should be an essential. And so if you think of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, justification is an act of God's free grace whereby he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight uh, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. If you, if you think of that definition, um, uh, I mean, it, it, it does many things for us, but one of the things it does uh, is, I think, uh, help us in sharing the gospel. Because the essence of the gospel is, is to become acceptable to God. Uh, typically, it's framed in, uh, you know, book of Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved, or, uh, you know, a common rendition accept Christ into your heart. I've always wondered about that because I don't really know what that means. But, but certainly, I think implicitly, it means you, you come to Christ and you ask him to, you know, forgive you. Um, um, but, uh, but think of the shorter catechism. Accepts us as righteous in his sight. That's the acceptance. We have acceptance with the eternal God of all glory, who is perfect in all of uh, the aspects of uh, who he is, and he accepts us as righteous. So we have legal standing before him uh, based on what? Uh, the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, received by faith alone. So if you, if you understand that, the acceptance with God is through the righteousness of Christ alone. We receive it by faith, um, and, and if, if you think back, of, uh, think back on regeneration, uh, we know that faith is the product of our regeneration. Uh, but we are, uh, we are accepted as righteous uh, only for the righteousness of Christ. That begins to separate out, really, all other denominations. Okay? Because in all other denominations, you've got to do something. My point is, if you understand justification, we're done for. Now, yes, we do. We, we believe. There has to be faith and belief. Uh, but that's the product of regeneration, and it is. Then, then even in that, we're done for. Yeah. So accept it as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to him received by faith alone. As you know, the other key discriminator there between... Uh, uh, the Protestant faith and really the Orthodox Protestant faith, the Reformed Church, is the adjective only. Everyone's going to say, yeah, we're, you know, we're saved by grace, um, but we believe grace alone. So, uh, you know, if you want to know what the difference between the Reformed Church and the Roman Catholic Church and the Arminian Church is, it's uh, that adjective only. Uh, and that's what the Protestant Reformation was over. That, that is essentially that adjective. And essentially the doctrine of justification. 
Um, secondary was the moral corruption of the church. So, I mean, it got, it got pretty rank, you know, pretty bad, but um, uh, it was a theological uh, rediscovery of the scriptures. Well, this battle over justification continues in the church today. Uh, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, there was an Anglican scholar by the name of N.T. Wright who rejected um, uh, the doctrine of justification as we define it, uh, uh, he, he saw it as uh, a vindication, uh, perhaps at the end of the age, in which we're vindicated. So, uh, I haven't read a lot of his material, but he, he's a well-respected uh, New Testament scholar. Uh, uh, he's no longer a bishop in the Anglican Church, because he retired, but nonetheless. Um, um, but... Uh, but you have to keep something in mind as a discriminator. Uh, I had a church historian, Carl Truman, uh, once said, um, uh, you're not chosen to be a bishop in the Anglican church uh, based on conservative orthodoxy. Um, which, I mean, it's sad to say, I think Truman's right. Same thing in the Episcopal church, you know, the Civil War analog to the Anglican church. Um, you know, they're into accepting alternative lifestyles and ordaining alternative lifestyles, blah, blah, blah. So if you think of that, um, it's kind of the classic deception, uh, but it's a, it's a way to corrupt the gospel and uh, corrupt uh, the essence of what the gospel does in our lives. So, um, uh, But I do want to point something out that I think is essential uh, the, the Anglican or the Episcopal Church historically is considered uh, part of uh, Reformed churches. So I find this a great way to witness uh, to Episcopalians because they, by and large, do not know their own theology. And, and, and neither do Roman Catholics. I mean, the priest maybe does. But they don't really know what they believe. They haven't read their confessional statements. They're just in church to be in church. You know, I, I, would, I would encourage you not to join Grace Bible Church just to be in a church. I mean, you know, I mean, this is not, you know, there's a storm out there. Just get to the safest land, landfall you can. Uh, you know, you need, to, you need to try to find something that's orthodox. And uh, the more that time goes on, I, I believe uh, that'll be somewhat, uh, somewhat more difficult. But, uh, but, but I want to quote from the 39 Articles, which is the Anglican Confession of Faith uh, and their understanding of the doctrine of justification. Um, and I want to remind you that most Episcopalians today don't. You say 39 Articles and their eyes begin to, you know, what are you talking about? But that is their, con that is their confessional statement. So uh, if, you, if you have your book, um, I'm on page 721. I'm just going to simply read to you um, article number 11. So, so think in your mind as I read this and make a comparison between uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, we are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, we are justified by faith alone is a most wholesome doctrine 
and very full of comfort as more largely is expressed in the homily of justification. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's essentially the same, these different words and different orders, but it, it, it is, I think, a good analog uh, to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer uh, 33. Uh, I happen to like, like that one. Uh, but what is this reference to the homily? Okay, homily of justification. Well, if you think back in the history uh, uh, of, of the Reformation in England, as it turned Protestant and rejected Catholicism, uh, when, that, uh, when that decree went out from the crown, there were lots of Catholic priests that were all of a sudden out of work. And the churches said, you know, you can be priests in our church. Well, they didn't understand the faith. Um, but the homilies were written so that they could have a better understanding and use it to preach to their congregations. Whether they did or not, who knows. But so if you look at, again, page 221, uh, I'm going to quote the homily. Because all men be sinners and offenders against God and breakers of his law and commandments, therefore can no man by his own acts, works, and deeds, seem they never uh, so good, be justified and made righteous before God. But every man of necessity is constrained to seek for another righteousness or justification. And this justification or righteousness, embraced by faith, is taken, accepted, and allowed of God for our perfect and full justification. Okay? So, so that's the, um, again, um, uh, I like the Shorter Catechism better. But what I'm suggesting to you is uh, Anglicans and Episcopalians have a reformed confessional statement. It's, it's the shortest of them all. It's one of their its weaknesses. But nonetheless, their doctrine of justification is certainly, uh, certainly an analog to, um, uh, to our understanding of justification. Um, tragically, most Episcopalians don't. You say 39 articles, they really don't know what, probably in many cases don't know what you're talking about. When my sons were at Cassidy, uh, I used to tell the, um, the chaplain, hey, teach the kids 39 articles. He kind of looked at me like I was nuts. But, um, um, which, is, which is interesting, but this is, this is how deception and corruption works. Uh, you know, Cassidy was established, I mean, it's named after a bishop in the Episcopal Church, Bishop Cassidy. Uh, it's an Episcopal high school. Um, but they acknowledge other faiths. Well, how do you do that if you're a Christian? I mean, there are no other faiths. There's only one way to God, that's through Christ. But it's just the silliness that goes on in the world today. Um, so let's, let's ground this again in, in the scriptures. Uh, if you have your New Testament, Romans chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, or if you want to turn to page 224, simply going to stress this. Um, um, it's a clear statement. Again, reading Romans chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. But as to the one who does not work, okay, so he doesn't work because his works won't get him to acceptance before God but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessings upon the man to whom reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So I'm just simply reading that text as a validation. So notice verse 5, God justifies the ungodly. Verse 6, God credits righteousness apart from works. Okay? So, um, you know, having referenced the 39 articles in um, the Shorter Catechism, it, you know, eventually you have to go to scriptures because that's the sole authority of our faith. So this brings us to um, uh, adoption. Uh, if you think of where, we, where we've come from, redemption accomplished. Okay? Now we're into the application of that redemption. And part of the application is adoption. Okay? Uh, Murray says it's a distinct act with peculiar privileges. Because it's by adoption that we become the sons of God. Okay. Uh, and, and Murray says, Murray states something here that I think is really critical. Adoption is also a judicial event. Just like justification. Uh, a court, the court of God, makes a judicial decree. It's a legal decree. It's a forensic decree. There's no morality to it whatsoever. That comes later in the doctrine of sanctification. So it's a judicial event whereby the court of heaven declares us to be righteous based upon the righteousness of Christ. Well, adoption is a legal decree too. Okay? Uh, just like in our legal system. Um, if you want to adopt a child, that, I don't know, maybe some of y'all have, I don't, I don't know, but uh, uh, if, if you want to adopt a child, there's a legal process you, ha you have to go through. You can't just say, yeah, I'll, I'll take your baby. Um, well, I mean, I guess you could do that, but at some point the mother or father want, might want the child back and go to the court system. So you have to, there's, a, there's a legal uh, procedure you have to go through, and a court has to say that child is now yours. Okay? Same thing happens in heaven. The court of heaven says, you are now a son of God. Okay? By adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. Uh, it speaks to relationship. Uh, we are given the spirit. Uh, we secure all the rights and privileges of sons. Uh, the nature uh, and disposition is constant with such status. And the prerequisite is regeneration. We're born again. Uh, we're adopted into the family of God. Um, notice we secure all the rights and privileges of sons. If you think back in the book of Acts, the initial church in the book of Acts was largely, largely filled with converted Jews. Okay. Then God starts saving Gentiles. And they get a little confused. Wait a minute. They've got to become Jews like us. And, you know, Guys like Peter are a little bit confused, but God straightens him out, you know? And Peter, uh, Council of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, 
says, no, uh, they're accepted before God in the same way we are. And what the Spirit of, God, uh, Spirit of God has done, who am I to question? So Peter at that point is acknowledging and the church in that council is accepting Gentiles on the same basis that God accepts Jews. Namely, the righteousness of Christ imputed to their account. That's the only basis. That's, that's how Jewish Christians were saved, and that's how we're saved. No difference whatsoever, okay? And it's just simply God's covenantal decrees, okay? That's where we're saved. If you will, the eternal covenant of redemption uh, that includes the doctrines of election and, and the ones we've been going over. Um, Just as, a, just as a reminder, um, uh, classic dispensationalism says we're saved in, according to different dispensations. We, we reject that. Uh, that's why we, Grace Bible Church, uh, uh, is a covenantal church based on God's covenants. Uh, you know, we've been studying the Abrahamic covenant, book of Genesis. Uh, but essentially, it's all pointing to what? To Christ. To Christ. Uh, you know, remember what God tells uh, Abraham when he's going to sacrifice. He's getting ready to sacrifice his son, uh, Isaac. No, God will provide, or, or the Abraham tells Isaac, God will provide a lamb. And then he's getting ready to take his life, and there's a lamb caught in a thicket behind, a uh, ram caught in a thicket behind him. So it's the provision of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away uh, sin of all men without uh, all men without distinction, Jew or Gentile, but, but in the same way. Uh, the Jewish Christians in the book of Acts were not saved in a different way than we are. Okay? Uh, another error here, I just, I acquaint you with these because part of this text but you know, part of the point of my book, as well as part of the importance of our church, is to help us to be better witnesses to people. Because we, we are to witness to people. And if you know their theology better than they know it, you have a better way to do that. Um, uh, so, so, so keep in mind, uh, we're not just learning these doctrines to be better students of the scripture. That's a part. Uh, but it's it, uh, it's part and parcel of the Great Commission, which is given to the church. Um, so, again, I encourage you to uh, reflect upon that. Um, this would, you know, come into play if you think about systems of theology, which, again, is, is an important part of this course. I want you to understand different systems of theology in Roman Catholicism and in Arminianism, you can come to faith and fall away. Okay? Um, we're saying, uh, no, you, you can't ever fall away because you're kept by the power of God. So whoever Christ died for, he's not going to lose. And he's not going to die for them again. So, um, uh, 
Murray, I think, is, is genius here. Uh, to me, he's really relying on a 17th century theologian by the name of Francis Turretin. Uh, but it's inconceivable that Christ would die for someone, send his spirit to apply salvation to their lives, and then lose them. I mean, uh, uh, but they, uh, they believe that. So essentially in Roman Catholicism, you don't really know that you're saved until you die. Which, I mean, get, you know, forget that. I mean, what, you know, in difficult crisis times, we need assurance. We need peace. We need the joy of the faith that the whole world's going crazy, but I'm a son of God. And I have all the rights and privileges uh, that Christians throughout the centuries have had. I mean, that's what we need. We, we need that sense of assurance. Uh, you know, think of John 6. Uh, of all that the Father gives me, doctrine of election, I lose none. Well, so they have to corrupt that text by saying, well, he doesn't lose them, but you lose yourself. Oh, please. I mean, figure that theology. Okay. But that's a great way to witness to Roman Catholics and Arminians. Okay. Classic Arminians or Wesleyan Arminians? Because you can fall away. In our faith, you can't fall away. Um, uh, because of the application of redemption, um, uh, secures us forever. Now, that's not, to, that's not to say that God doesn't use discipline. He disciplined David, right? David committed some pretty horrendous sins. Did God say, well, you're lost, David, I'm sorry. No, he comes for him, and he pays a tremendous price. Okay? Um, Peter, you know, denies the Lord three times. I mean, how serious can you get? Because he was son of God, Christ comes for him and reminds him. So, um, um, uh, now, it is true, and I remind you of this, uh, within the visible church, people can fall away. We're not talking about the visible church. We're talking about the invisible church, Christ church. Uh, so... Uh, uh, if you think back, for example, of 1 John chapter 2, uh, John says, they went out from us because they were not of us. So there were uh, people in, initially in, in the church that uh, left the church uh, because they weren't truly in, the church, in Christ church. So, so it's not just, you know, most people... It's a brilliant way to share the gospel with a lot of people because they just say, oh, I'm a church member. I got my ticket punched. Uh, no, that's not, that's not the way it works. You have to be accepted before God in church membership. While very, very important, it's not a prerequisite to be accepted before God. The righteousness of Christ alone. Okay, so we're totally dependent upon the righteous Christ imputed to us. Um, So Murray says adoption is an act of transfer 
from an alien family into the family of God. And it speaks to our relationship with the first person of the Trinity. Okay, let's look at some verses here. Um, John uh, chapter 1. So again, it's always good to talk about theology, but at some point you have to say, well, what, what does the scripture say? Or obviously turning to the scriptures. Uh, John chapter 12. Uh, pardon me, John chapter 1, uh, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Okay? So whoever receives, whoever receives Christ becomes a child of God. Now, notice something in this text as I read verse 13. Is, is, chapter, is verse 12 a causal event? I receive Christ and he has to save me? No, it's an effect of a greater cause. Okay, what's the cause? Look at verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's the cause. That's the cause of our receiving Christ as our Savior. We were born of God. Okay? Notice he's excluding. This is, this is a magnificent text for the exclusion of the participation of the will of man in redemption. Now think about your theology. Why, why is that the case? Because men are totally depraved. Their will, their will is under bondage. A will under the bondage of sin and corruption is not going to come to God. Okay? So it's got to have a higher will to overcome the human will. Look at the text again. Who were born not of blood. In other words, it's not, you know, passed on in a familiar way. Nor the will of the flesh. Uh, nor the will of man. But of God. Born by God. John 3, you know, be, you, must, you must be born again. So it's, it's the new birth, regeneration as an act of the will of God. So that's how we, I mean, that's how we receive Christ. We're born again. Uh, the effect is verse 12. We receive him and, and, and he gives to us the right to become children of God. So in that text, uh, is, I think, support uh, for uh, adoption. Uh, let's turn to um, uh, Romans chapter 8. I never get there. So look at look at look at what begin what the starting verse of Romans chapter eight. Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think of that in terms of uh, Wesleyan Arminian or the Arminian faith and the Roman Catholic faith. Uh, that, that's virtually most every church in Oklahoma City. 
Okay. There are a few Reformed churches here, but the vast majority of them are Arminian or Roman Catholic, some Episcopal. Okay. I can't fall away because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are secured in the faith. Uh, and no condemnation will ever be imputed to you again. Think back of the doctrine of justification. Uh, uh, all our sins are pardoned. The great struggle there, well, yeah, past and present. No, including future sins. Okay. Uh, so uh, we're, you know, uh, all of our sins are pardoned. And therefore the possibility of condemnation goes away. Uh, that's why we can have assurance. That's why if you look back at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Arminian and the Catholic says, no, you really can't have peace. We can, because we've been justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, no condemnation. I think of the majesty of that as it relates to our lives. Okay. Um, so if you look at um, uh, verse 14 and 15. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Stop there for a moment. Let me make a comment. One of the blessings that is inherently yours, <coughs> pardon me, because you're in Christ, is you get the Spirit. Um, think of uh, charismatic churches. There's got to be a second work of grace to get the Spirit. Okay? There's no second work of grace in, in verses like this. There's just one seamless work of the great Trinitarian God. Uh, uh, the Father elects us, the Son purchases us, and the Spirit applies that to our hearts. It's all seamless. There's no argument between the members of the Trinity. It's a seamless majesty of God in our salvation from eternity past. Okay. If you really want to understand grace, you have, to, you have to see the majesty of that, how gracious God was to us. And if you are a son of God, get the Spirit of God. Now notice, notice what the Spirit does. He leads the sons of God. Okay. He doesn't say, you know, good luck, I hope you make it. I've done my part. Now you better do yours. You better do it good enough. If you don't, you need to be saved all over again. That's, that's Arminianism. Okay? We get the Spirit of God who's going to lead us. Uh, now I'm not saying the path is easy. Okay? If you read the rest of book, uh, chapter 8, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult, uh, but, uh, but nonetheless we have the leading of the Spirit. Now, Greek grammarians could say, well, look, 
this, this text is not talking about the future. Technically, that's correct. But the rest of, the, rest of chapter 8 certainly is. I mean, if you look at, you know, what shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, well, nothing. Um, I mean, chapter 8 certainly uh, goes into the future. Uh, Paul's saying, verse 38, 39, For I'm convincing you to death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate. So that is the future. I mean, I, I agree with the, it's a, as I recall, it's a present passive in the Greek verbal system. Doesn't really engage the future. No, but Paul does. Paul does here. Now, I just want to remind you, Arminians and Roman Catholics have to say, have to insert in here, uh, well, no, Paul says, nor any other created thing, but he doesn't exclude you, that you can separate yourself. So, that, I mean, that's essentially what they, they're always adding in their theology on top of the text. They accuse us of that, but I'm just simply throwing it back at them. You know? Um, Good way to, again, share the gospel with a Roman Catholic or Arminian. We can have that assurance. Okay? We can have peace with God. And it will never be taken from us because we're the sons of God by, by his sovereign grace. So, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit of God adopts us into the family of God. Uh, I believe if the Spirit of God does that, not even we can unravel it because he's not going to uh, permit that to happen. Yeah. Um, again, I'm really not going to discuss this perhaps more fully next time we talk about the doctrine of sanctification. But as you know, in the book of Galatians, uh, as well as other books, people say, well, you can't really believe that because that leads to licentiousness. We just go sin, you know, might as well just, you know, enjoy everything I can about this life uh, because nothing can save my salvation. No, we're, we're saying that part of our salvation is a not only a legal event, but a moral event in which we're, we're going to be transformed. We're made the sons of God by the legal event, but in the application of redemption, there's going to be moral renewal. So, uh, and uh, uh, we know that's true because if you think about David's sin, uh, God disciplined him harshly. Um, Peter, he was disciplined um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak a little bit, Lord willing, in the second hour on um, some moral failures on behalf of uh, Isaac and Rebekah um, and uh, Jacob. Jacob was disciplined harshly. He was still a son of God. Uh, that's why you don't want to go down that road and say, well, I just sent all I want to. No, well, because... You know, uh, in, in classic, 
classic case of discipline, the prophet says to David, you're the man. You know, David has just condemned himself. And then the prophet says, and you're the man. And uh, he, he suffers really serious, serious discipline. So, so that's part of the Christian faith. A spirit comes on the application to bring, you know, God, God disciplines the sons that he loves. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, I believe. Okay. So you see, it, it all really is so seamless. Legal event, moral event. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah. But here, uh, verse 15, we, we, we receive the spirit of adoption. Uh, verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Roman Catholics and Armenians don't have that peace because, because they don't understand the work of the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Okay? The majesty of our redemption. Um, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Um, let's read, let's go back a couple of verses. Beginning verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay. We're heirs. We have all the rights and privileges of, of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise of eternal life. An inheritance in the heavenlies. An inheritance into glory. Uh, accomplished by Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay. Again, let's talk about another system of theology. Uh, uh, many, many uh, charismatic Christians would say, no, you really have to have a second blessing that's evidence in speaking of tongues. And then you can really have joy for this second blessing. Uh, I mean, let's turn, I don't want to spend much time here, but because we've talked about this, turn to over a couple of pages, Ephesians, Ephesians pardon me, uh, chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. In one fell swoop, you get it all. Okay? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ including the Holy Spirit. Okay? Notice verse 13. In Him, namely Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, the word, uh, the, uh, the verb to seal, oftentimes used of ancient documents, uh, like a, a, a civil court 
uh, the king might seal a very important piece of literature or legislation or whatever and then send it on its way. And the only person who could break that seal is the recipient. So tell me, after talking about these different systems of theology, tell me how the Arminian or the Roman Catholic is going to interpret verse 13. Well, I've got to add something, right? They've got to add, well, okay, you were sealed, but you can still turn away. Okay. In, essentially, in Arminianism and Roman Catholicism, and I want you to understand a, a measure of their faith, your faith is really based upon your perseverance. So God has all these magnificent promises, and you get them all, if you persevere, and if you don't persevere, they're going to be all taken away. But it's based on your perseverance. What's our response? Yes, perseverance is absolutely essential. We have, to, we have to persevere in the faith. We have to believe in Christ. We have to have faith in Christ. And we have to persevere in the faith to the end. To the end, we have to persevere. But that's a product of our regeneration. In all the spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, verse 3, that we have in Christ, which includes our perseverance in the faith. So God's going to see to that. Because, he's, because we are men and women made new. And part of that is uh, um, the work of the Spirit in our lives. So, again, think of the magnificent opportunity we have to share the gospel. I'm not saying that all Roman Catholics are not Christians. I don't know. I don't, I don't go down that road. God doesn't make me the referee. He's the referee. Uh, 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 but it is a great opportunity to share the gospel with Roman Catholics as well as Arminians. That in our faith, we can have peace with God. And we understand we will never, ever be condemned because it's not based upon something we do. It's based upon something he did for us, is doing now, and will complete. Okay? And, and I mean, let me just give you a verse. Uh, Philippians. This is one we've gone over, but it's a beautiful verse. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. If you have your New Testament, I encourage you to turn there. For I am confident, Paul says. How can Paul be confident? You can't really be confident if you're an Arminian or a Roman Catholic. Well, Paul's neither an Arminian or a Roman Catholic. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He starts the work... And he's going to finish it until Christ comes again. You hollow that verse out if you start shoving your will in there. Now, I'm not denying we all have wills. Don't miss Sam. You know, we're not robots. We do have a will. But our will has been set free from the bondage of sin because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
What God has started in your life, he is not going to let up until it's completed when Christ comes again. The Arminian, the Roman Catholic, uh, have to gut that verse. Okay. Uh, Catholics sometimes will say, well, we have our own Bible. Oh, please. You know, that's what, I think I told you the story, witnessing to a Roman Catholic here. Uh, you know, where's the statue of Mary? And, and you know, Mary is essential to their faith. Why is it essential? Because you get to the Father through the Mother. We get to the Father through the only mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, not Mary. She's an important person. She's a disciple of Jesus. We honor her as we would the Apostle Paul or James or Peter, uh, but she is not a mediator. In Roman Catholicism, she is a mediator. And, and that, think about that in terms of sharing the gospel. We have the only mediator between God and man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, ma'am. You know, um, Joanne, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, except to forgive my, my ignorance, because I've never read them. They just don't, you know, uh, apocryphal books. A Roman Catholic Bible is larger than Protestant Bible. They, they accept apocryphal works. Uh, we, uh, uh, we do not. They've, uh, in, if you go down and look at church history, they've never been accepted uh, uh, into uh, our, our canon or measurement of the books of the Old and, and New Testament. But Roman Catholics do. But keep in mind, what would, uh, Joanne, uh, be radical to this end is, uh, to us, uh, Scripture is our sole and final authority. They have three authorities, scripture, church tradition, and the magisterium. The magisterium is the teaching ministry of the church, the pope and, and all the cardinals and bishops, I guess, you know, who decide Christian doctrine. So I suspect in the apocryphal works, there's no reference to Mary as a mediator, but in church tradition there is, and in the magisterium there is. Therefore, it's authoritative for a Roman Catholic. It's a dangerous, dangerous position because essentially men are establishing what's authoritative before God. That's why to us, uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's a very good question. Okay, next week, um, sanctification. G, sanctification. If, you're, if you have the out, outline of uh, Murray's, Murray's work. Okay, well, let's, uh, I've kind of gone over a little bit, uh, um, but let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Our, our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the grace of God. Uh, we thank Thee that we uh, uh, receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, uh, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we're thankful that we can have peace with God and that we have uh, no prospect whatsoever of future condemnation because of Him, because of Him. And to that end, we're profoundly grateful. Uh, bless our worship service. 
may our hearts be full of gratitude, uh, and may we learn and continue to grow in our faith uh, for the advancement of thy kingdom in our hearts and in the world in which we live. Uh, for the glory of Christ, we ask it. Amen.